welcome to the Training Design Podcast, approximately 45 minutes of tips and insights for practical training design with me, Sheridan Webb of Keystone Development and Training. And me, Terry Pierce of 360 Learning Design. In this episode, we're going to be talking about storytelling in learning design. In particular, what do we mean by storytelling and why is it important for us to think about as designers rather than just relying on the facilitator in the room? We'll be thinking about the difference between anecdote stories and case studies, whether we should always tell our own stories or whether we can borrow from other people. We'll also be discussing the nature of truth and whether all stories should be true and whether or not it should always be you that tells the story personally. We'll end up with some top tips for designing stories to include in your training design, as well as providing you with some links where you can learn more. We'll finish the episode by having um, a very quick look at a very big topic, which is what is training design anyway? So Terry, let's kick off by understanding what do you mean by storytelling? Well, I think that storytelling is at its core illustrating by example. Uh, it's moving away from theory or focusing a lot on theory into trying to kind of tap into the power of story. Uh, so I think that storytelling is about trying to take account of the fact that all kinds of people uh, spend a lot of their lives watching TV, uh, watching films, uh, even, you know, TV and, and, and films that are, that are documentary kind of tend to tell a story, even like, uh, you know, nature programs uh, on the Discovery Channel usually follow, uh, you know, a, a pride of lions around or something. So you, sure. you, there's this power of story that people really want and really tap into. So, so storytelling is, is, is trying to harness that uh, in the learning context. Okay, so um, it's not really something that's new to learning design mm. or is it no i don't think so i think people do tell stories anyway i think that's part of the reason why it's powerful is because we're storytelling animals so mm. i don't think it's, it's new i think there's an interesting part of this discussion maybe around uh, how much of that is really planned and deliberate and designed versus how many of it is quite kind of ad hoc on the part of trainers and training deliverers uh, but, you know, it's not new, but I think it is important mm. for us to try to uh, try to think carefully and proactively about rather than just tell whatever stories come into our head as, as trainers or, or deliverers. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think um, anyone who spend any time in the training room, you know, bo both of us uh, do that. Um, we will launch into a story from time to time or have a tale to tell. Um, but it is interesting that it's not always actually written into the program. It's quite a spontaneous thing. Mm. So thinking about it from a trained designer's point of view, why do you think that we ought to be thinking more about that and using those stories a bit more proactively? Well, because it's a, it's such a powerful thing. And I think anything that is that powerful and that useful, potentially we shouldn't really leave to chance. So, you know, again, this, this, this taps into the idea that, that we're all storytelling animals right back from, you know, if you think about tribal, uh, tribal living and, the fact that you know, in order to uh, to survive and reproduce as living beings, we needed to know who's trustworthy and who's not trustworthy, and we need to find mates, and we need to, uh, you know, within a society, punish people who've transgressed against the society, and need to learn lessons from the past and apply them in the future. 
and all which of berries that, you can eat which ones you can't absolutely yeah yeah and all of that is 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 uh, done through story so we've we've evolved this this sense of, of story being really really powerful because it's how we make sense of the world and how we make sure that we do better in the future than we did in the past which is all you know which is what learning is all about really yeah and and you're saying that as as although we use that as training professionals almost it's almost a subconscious thing we we need to start using it a lot more deliberately in mm. training um, yeah absolutely i think uh one of the one of the best ways i can illustrate how powerful it is as well and and, and therefore again why it's worth keeping in mind is to tell you a story about uh dave lieber uh, and his ted talk so I'd, I'd recommend that you go and watch it anyone who's listening it's a fantastic ted talk uh, and he talks about uh, as 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 someone who isn't native to Texas, coming to Texas, and that's where the TED talk is. So he's there on the stage, telling people about when he arrived in Texas and the kind of greetings he got, and he's tapping into all these things, that these these in jokes that Texans have about themselves and how they greet people uh, and the kind of questions that they ask, and he's really kind of drawing them in and you can kind of feel the energy in the room and uh, and the fact that they're kind of really buying into this because it's a story about a true thing a thing that they know they understand how they are as a, as a kind of culture and how they welcome people so he's telling the story about it and then at some point he just stops telling the story and he says now let me tell you what i did there and he breaks it down and starts to talk about the theory of storytelling a little bit which i'm sure we'll we'll, we'll talk about a little bit ourselves later on but one of the points he makes is it's quite kind of meta comments on on what he's doing it, it, you know you can he talks about the fact that he's just lowered the energy in the room because now he's talking about theory and he's talking about how stories work in a theoretical sense and it's no longer a story that he's telling um so i think for me that really illustrates how powerful stories can be and why it's really important to think about which ones you're going to choose to harness that energy uh, rather than yeah again leaving it to chance hmm, in interesting i mean i guess just listening to that example terry it's uh, a lot of um so shall we say a lot of standard training um, tends to work hard to engage the head and the logical side mm. of our understanding. Whereas I think what you're saying is if we can use stories that will also engage the heart and the emotional side, which when we combine that with the logic perhaps makes for a more powerful learning experience. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that uh, it's also taking control rather than leaving things to chance in another way, which is that, uh, we may, we tend to make stories out of things and try and relate things to a story-based kind of uh, approach, even if it's not given to us. So, um, for instance, they, they've done quite a few really interesting studies here where they've, for instance, shown uh, shapes to, uh, well, to various audiences, but to children mm. in particular, they've shown these shapes kind of moving around in quite a random way, actually, uh, sometimes, or they've, or they've shown these different things and the shapes don't have any personality but these these kids and, and the people in their studies started to to ascribe personalities to these shapes you know it was the the, the bad the naughty triangle and the, the heroic <laughs> square and, and this kind of stuff so you know it's this, these things where actually it's, it's really quite random but people actually start to ascribe stories and narrative and character to these things which don't really have anything of the sort and I think, you know, again, the, so your delegates, the people, the learners uh, are going to be doing that. And they're going to be thinking about how this concept relates to their practice and their, which we want them to do. But mm. also we want to make sure that, that, that we're helping them with that rather than just leaving it to 
how well they manage to do it themselves. Yeah. And I guess um, that also links into, you know, one of one of my favourite things is is accelerated learning principles and the master structure in particular. Um, and I think what you've just sparked off there is is that sift for the meaning. So when we introduce an idea, um, we, we need people to make sense of it in their own context, in their own world, I guess. Um, perhaps stories is a way of helping them to do that. Um, which is obviously mm. one of the important things we need to do if we're going to make that learning memorable and embed it and then we will then bring about behavior change. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, and, and again, there's, there's, there's so many examples of, of, of how it works. So I could probably make an entire program out of this bit of examples of how it works. But <laughs> go, go for it. <laughs> even if you just think about charities, you know, the, the, almost all charities are moved from giving uh, statistics about, you know, this particular horrible thing that's happening in the world affects this many thousand people this many million people because they have hard data about how many uh, how much how many donations that gets them versus this is bob bob has this issue and it's affected him you know rather than the hurricane has affected thousands of people the hurricane has uh, as you know bob's lost his home he can't find his family and suddenly you know you've got people buying into it because now it's a story yeah yeah it's um no you're right that that's a lot more powerful isn't it i think because it, i guess when you're looking at big picture and statistics um you just think well it's almost so what what can i do about that um whereas yeah if we make it really personal um i guess it is more meaningful to us so that is a very specific example um there you know we've almost put a spotlight on one very small story in a much bigger story um, is, is, is storytelling the same as just sharing an anecdote or is there a big difference between the two? Um, do we use them differently? I think that's a really interesting question. I think that all anecdotes are stories, but not all stories need to be anecdotes. So if we are thinking about anecdotes and thinking about including them in training, then absolutely that's fine. That's consistent with what we're saying about using story. But I think that we can do, we can include story and storytelling that are not anecdotes because uh, an anecdote you usually think of as something that, is, you know, this thing happened to me once and that's fine. But you can also have stories around uh, that are starring anyone. Uh, you can mm-hmm. have stories that are true, stories that are not true. You, you know, fairy tales are stories, Aesop's fables, illustrated learning points for, uh, for people. Uh, case studies are stories of, in a sense. Uh, the One Minute Manager, the really famous management series of books uh, is a set of stories which are kind of true in the sense that uh, you know they're 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 quite typical of things that happen, but they're not literally true stories, and they're not anecdotes of this happened to me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive fan of case studies, and I, I won't spend a lot of time talking about that because I think we could we could go into depth of that. But um, I find that if you if I can write a bespoke case study um, in a workshop or a program, it always gets a load of traction um, because people can really hang their learning off it, and they can sympathise or empathise with the characters in that. They can visualise the situation. It just adds another dimension, I think. Um, rather than just looking at things, as you said before, from a theoretical point of view, it's it's like a halfway house between the the theory, which is up there in the ether, and their real work, mm. um, which is very personal to them. Um, and in the training room, we need to sort of find a way of bridging the gap. Mm. So I certainly use case studies quite a lot to bridge that gap um, mm. and bring the learning to life. 
So when I write case studies, they tend to be fictional, but I think um, certainly some of the most powerful stories that I've heard have, have been personal um, and, you know, very much relates to the person who is telling the tale. It's their own story. Mm. Um, do you think that where possible we should be telling the stories that are our own rather than other people's? I think there's a power in the personal, definitely. I think if you're telling your own story, you know, people can really relate to the fact that it happened to you. They can see the emotion that you're going through as you relive it. Uh, and you've also got so much kind of depth, depth, so, much, so many layers to it. You know, you can go beyond uh, a very narrow path through the story. Uh, you can fill it out and flesh it out with details as you're going that seem most relevant or respond to questions. So I think all of that makes uh, your own stories really powerful. But I think you can absolutely uh, tell other people's stories so long as you, you're not trying to claim them as your own. Uh, you know, if, if, they, if that's the best way to illustrate a point, I think that's fine. You know, I was just telling you a story about Dave Lieber and about his, his story. Uh, and, mm. you know, uh, I, think, uh, I think if we can always find a great story of our own to tell about things, then fine. But sometimes we're just not going to have the right story to illustrate a point. And so we use someone else's. Or also, if we're designing for other people, you know, there's there's a whole thing to be thought about there, which is, do we, you know, who's going to be delivering it, and are they going to be able to tell their own version of that story or a story themselves that's similar? Yeah, I must admit that that's the one thing. I mean, it, we, we trainers, I mean, we're we're fantastic, aren't we, at borrowing from other people? And I've, whenever I run train the trainer courses, I always say, you know, we are sponges. We go out there and we soak up great stories and great examples from one group and then we squeeze them out somewhere else, um, which is a great way of spreading best practice almost if we can share that story. Um, but you're quite right. I think if you can't if you, if you can't fact check that story or haven't got the background, it's sometimes perhaps a little bit more difficult, whereas when it is your own story, um, you know absolutely everything about it and, and perhaps um, you can. Um, give more detail about it you can you know give more background to it and, and it can be a lot more powerful that way hmm. um should stories always be true stories or like you mentioned before about Aesop's fables which I admit I'd completely forgotten about but they hmm. are great great hmm. learning stories um and fairy tales which have stood the test of time so clearly they're not true so does a story need to be true particularly in a corporate business environment hmm. I think that's actually a really really interesting question a lot more uh, a, a lot deeper than it might at first appear because i think in order i'm not to answer, usually deep Terry. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I, I think i think in order to really answer it well though you need to really think about what do we mean by something being true which sounds like you know the kind of answer that someone a lawyer might give it in in, in court to try and get out of something but but I think are we getting into the fake news debate now this is well, fake news <laughs> I, I, I think well i think it touches on that but let's not perhaps go there um <laughs> But I think, you know, I think things can be true without actually having happened. Um, but, but, but to illustrate that, let me, one of the best people I've come across who's written about this is Ursula Le Guin, the science fiction author. Um, and it's, I just want to try and read a quote from her, which I think really illustrates this really well. So she says, um, fiction writers invent persons, places and events which never did and never will exist or occur. And telling about these fictions in detail and at length and with a great deal of emotion. And then when they're done writing, this, writing down this pack of lies, they say, there, that's the truth. They might use all kinds of facts to support this issue of lies. They might describe real places, real processes, real psychological conditions. Um, 
This makes the reader forget that he's reading pure invention, a history that never took place anywhere but the author's mind. In reading a novel, any novel, we have to know perfectly well that the whole thing is nonsense, and then while reading, believe every word of it. Finally, when we're done with it, we may find, if it's a good novel, that we're a bit different from where we were, from what we were before we read it, that we've been changed a little, as if by having met a new face, crossed the street we never crossed before we've been changed. So I, I think there's... Is it, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's really, really thought-provoking, actually, and and so true, of course, of of a good book. Any good book that mm. you've read, you, when you finish it, you you feel bereft, really, mm. that mm. you're no longer part of that world, and mm. and you do wonder, well, what what happened next, and mm. you know, with, and that's the difference thing between a, a great book and a not so great book. Yeah, and if you think about really poor books, or and again, you could extend that to TV programs and films, mm. where we don't believe the truth of them, and it's not because that we don't believe that they never really happened. We know that they all never happen, whether they're the good ones, the bad ones, the indifferent ones. But uh, the good ones make us believe that they could have happened, or that they are true, a true reflection of how things do happen in general, yeah. in real life. And we're not writing novels. But I think it's exactly the same for storytelling, for learning, that uh, just like with the One Minute Manager, which I think is a great example, uh, Aesop's Fables is the same. You know, it's, it's, it tells a truth. It tells mm. the truth about life without actually having been the true sequence of events. Yeah, really, really interesting. And so I, I hark back to um, the case studies because I guess that's my anchor into storytelling, really. Um, I know a lot of people use case studies that are based on actual events and they just retell it. Whereas I write a fiction um, and I write a fiction basing it on very many truths. So I'll take one small incident from one person, one small incident from another and so on and so on um, and create this person who has all of these issues or all of these challenges. Mm. So individually they're true. Um, each challenge is a, is a true challenge, but they've never happened to one person. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think there's a great way to to go with case studies. I've written quite a few myself by that. But yeah, by doing that, you're going exactly with uh, Ursula Le Guin's version of truth. It is yeah. true. It just didn't happen exactly that way on one particular occasion. And, so, and, and I guess it comes down to artistic license, isn't it? You know, mm. We can base something we can we can base a part of learning on a story but we need to embellish it or we need to alter it slightly in order for it to fit the learning need yeah exactly so um i'm really comfortable with case studies as stories but that's there's a lot more to it than that so i know you use case studies as well terry but how else have you used storytelling specifically um in your training design well i always try to think really carefully about the best story that's going to illustrate certain points so uh, definitely for example uh, when I'm talking about personality styles or uh, behavioral styles so Jung uh, or insights uh, I always talk about the differences between different uh, color styles you know blue yellow red uh, green that that kind of thing yeah. based on my own experience and I often bring in non-work examples because I think people really relate to those quite closely so i talk about the fact that, that my wife is very blue and uh, i'm mostly yellow uh, but and the kind you know tell a story about how that can impact something like you know the, our, our discussions around where we might go on holiday where i'm to saying all these things about oh this place that i've looked at for 20 seconds looks amazing from this photo <laughs> and we should go there and she starts to say well yeah but how much is it going to cost and why is it better than that place that you said the other day you wanted to go to 
um, and just tell the story, you know, about about how it goes. And there, you've got people around the room nodding and saying, oh, "Yeah." Well, I'm I'm laughing my head off because honestly, this is me and my husband <laughs> as well. He would so get on with your wife. <laughs> yeah. And or maybe they would hate each other. I don't know because <laughs> they're both very uh, very detail orientated. <laughs> they probably plan our lives, uh, get between them, plan our lives way too much. So we probably shouldn't introduce them to each other. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> But um, yeah, and there's there's all kinds of similar examples. So you know, I, I, I'm going to mention a few models, which may which some of the uh, models or theories or, or topics that people may or may not have come across. But you know, for the Johari window, which is about personal realizations and, and looking at yourself, there are all kinds of stories that you can tell, and it's around finding the right one to show how uh, things that are in your blind spot could come into your public and and and, and well known about window. Um, if you're talking about uh, Lencioni's levels of team dysfunction, uh, finding a team story from real life or from your own personal experience. So I often talk about a, uh, a football team or something like that that's actually gone through, have to change it over time to, to, to fit whichever's you know, City you're happening. in. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also whichever, things, whichever team things are happening for because they tend to go in cycles up and down, actually. They do. Um, so whichever, thing, whichever, one people, it, whichever one is having a bad time of it at the time. <laughs> um, but, but talk about how their story relates to it. Or uh, for resilience, I think resilience is a place where uh, the stories can go really well because you start to open up your own vulnerability uh, a little bit. And I think that's one, for instance, just going back to the design point of view where you can absolutely really easily not just have it as your own story um i mean where you can where you can say to whoever's delivering it in the design in the session plan fill in with your own example here you know because everybody has got something where they went through difficult times and they overcame them and maybe some people have got stories like that they don't want to share Mm. but if you think very carefully about what's uh, what's something that you can share that does expose your vulnerability a little bit and show that you're willing to share then that can really show a how you showed resilience but b how it's okay in that space to open up to talk about uh, you know things that have happened for you i think you've touched on um quite an important point there terry haven't you and i appreciate it. we're probably going to um, discuss this in a little bit more detail in just a few minutes when we start to wrap up but when you're not going to be the facilitator and you want to include a really powerful story, it can be quite a challenge because, as you said, we do need it to be personal if possible. So I know that we have both in the past included an example of a story to say, you know, share a story that covers X, Y, Z points, for example. And whether that's our example or whether that's something that secondhand that we borrowed from somewhere else at least the facilitator isn't sort of stood there like rabbit in the headlights thinking, I don't know what to say. Um, we've given them something, um, knowing that they should be able to replace that with something that's even better, but what we've given them is okay and we'll do the job. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a really good way to touch on, on the idea of designing for others. I think there are different ways to do it, but that's a great one. Give them an example, but if they've got a better one, let them uh, let them insert it you know this is what it needs to show this is what it needs to touch on i think you can also uh, try and do it in terms of videos you know you don't have to rely on whoever's delivering to to to, to tell the story of course uh, of course yeah find a great video yeah i use yeah. uh chimamanda ngozi adichie's story at ted talks a story that she tells in a ted talk about the dangers of a single story uh, as a great example to use in courses that i run that touch on areas around diversity because uh, she talks in that story really, really passionately about how she, uh, even though she had been the victim of prejudice, 
uh, actually caught herself uh, you know buying into the ideas of prejudice uh, once and, and and how that was for her and I think that really uh, has helped me to illustrate some points really well um, so yeah I think you can use video maybe even video of yourself if you feel comfortable enough to do that as a designer you could be yourself telling a story um, so I think that's another way yeah, and videos from um, just you've just reminded me actually. See, I forget I do these things. Um, in one of my programs, we had um, talking heads of some of the senior managers talking about things that were relevant to that course. Now they were only two or three minutes long, but again, it was just that change of voice. It was someone who was successful within that business talking about how they had done whatever it is we were talking about. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there, there are lots of different ways to, to put it into the session. Uh, it depends on, on the exact relationship, whether you're just going to be putting it on a sheet and then you don't know who's going to be picking it up or whether you get the chance to brief them or talk it through with them mm. or you even ask them whether they do have stories. Um, so I think you can adapt sometimes. Um, I think for me as well, it touches on another point, which is around trying to have as many stories as possible. And I think that it's quite difficult sometimes to think of a story on the spot as you're designing. So you're designing yes. X course about Y topic and ah, what story should I tell to illustrate that or include? Mm. But I think if you take a more proactive approach and if you try to uh, make sure that you've got as many stories as possible ready for the kind of topics that you get involved with, uh, then you can just draw on them as you go. So I, I think, you know, well, you talked about this a little bit earlier, that, that the idea of as trainers, as training designers, if we uh, act like magpies the whole time really is the way that mm. I think of it uh, and just try and pluck anything like that and keep it somewhere where we'll find it as well. Uh, I mean, I can get quite organized in the little systems on my, on my computer and so on, but I do keep a, a kind of index of uh, material and resources that I might like to use for any given topic uh, and stories is a big part of that. Which is very commendable. Um, <laughs> I am not quite so organized, but, um, but I, I always know where I've used a good story. I remember which client I wrote it mm, into, yeah. but then I do have to spend an hour searching through all their materials to, to find it. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think it is like you talked there about the football example is it is something that can just be adapted quite easily, um, to, to fit. Um, so it doesn't have to tell the same thing, although sometimes mm. telling a story in exactly the same way. Um, can also work and I came across a story called the five cookies mm. uh, which I've just written into um, a workshop on collaborative working and it, it what made me think of it is when you mentioned the Jahari window about seeing people's blind spots mm. and this story um, I I make no apologies I read it out because it's only a page mm. and I read it out to the course because you have to stop in certain places and you have to ask specific questions to mm. guide them through those learning points it's always really powerful mm. um, so that's not my story I'm, I make I don't hide the fact that I am reading it off a piece of paper but mm. it still has impact yeah that definitely I think all those kind of things uh, you know just thinking very laterally about very very broadly and, and and with really open horizons about what kind of story and how story could help and how telling stories could help actually just talking about lateral thinking for, for when i do uh creative workshops uh, innovation creativity problem solving i often include lateral thinking problems so there's these different ones mm -hmm. about you know you, you there's uh a lot of them seem to involve people having died for some reason, but, but it's, it's, it's often a bit of a whodunit of how did this Careful. person die? So there's, there's this person in the middle of a field with a package 
And oh, right, those. try and work out uh, how he died. And they've got to ask these yes or no questions. And, and you know, in that one, it turns out, so, spoiler alert, by the way, but um, <laughs> that, in that one, it turns out that he, uh, that the package was actually a parachute, which didn't open. And that's right. why. But, but you know, that in order to make that jump, they have to ask these yes or no questions. But it's all, it's all uh, about, you know, well, did, was the package important and is the package open and these kind of things? Because mm. immediately they're probably thinking brown paper and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the key is that it all hinges off the story. You know, they're trying to think about the story, the sequence of events. Mm. Um, but just before we started recording, Terry, as well, we were, we were talking about how it doesn't always have the great stories that have to always come from the designer or the facilitator. Sometimes mm. great stories can come from the group. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think think getting their stories just in general, you know, asking, has anyone experienced this? How have you found it? I think is really powerful. And, and we sometimes don't do that enough, I think, or certainly seen it not be done enough. Uh, so leaving space for that in the design, uh, particularly early on, I find that really useful in particularly in sessions where people are going to have stories. So uh, resilience, as I talked about, stress, uh, productivity and time management, uh, asking about people's stories about, you know, when it's gone wrong for them, but when it's gone right for them, yeah. uh, that kind of thing, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I did a great one on customer service. Um, and when I designed it, um, I did not leave enough time because the, one of the first exercises I, I did was I was a dissatisfied customer. And I've just got them working in small groups. Tell a story about when you were a dissatisfied customer. Well, of course, everybody's got mm. a tale to tell and they yeah. all wanted to tell it. Um, and I really had to call time on that, but it was so powerful because they were so passionate about it and it made it so much easier for them to understand all the different concepts I was talking about when it came to customer service and handling complaints, because they could relate it exactly to their experience and where the missed opportunities were and where they should have done something differently. And it, it really, really enhanced that workshop for no, no doubt at all in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, I've done a similar activity, although I, I, I did that activity with uh, two questions, which is tell us about when you've experienced bad and good. And mm. what's quite interesting is just how many more stories there are around the bad customer service <laughs> than the good. But that's a learning point in itself. But yeah, no, it, it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think it, this is interesting is to say, I think as learning designers and as facilitators as well, we probably do use storytelling possibly without knowing that that's what we're doing. Mm. Maybe we just think it's anecdotes. Maybe we just think it's an example. Maybe we just think it's a case study. Um, but what you really reminded me of Terry is how impactful that can be if it's introduced in the right way um, at the right time um, and to really engage people emotionally, um, which makes that learning much more impactful, much more likely to transfer, which is ultimately what we are there to do. Mm. Um, so, have you got any, um, we've still got a little time, so have you got any more tips um, if people want to make storytelling a little bit more front and centre in their learning design? Mm. Well, my first tip would be do exactly that, put it front and centre. I think uh, one of the biggest things that we don't do, even if we realise the power of story and even if we include stories and anecdotes, is that we often talk about the theory and then illustrate it with a story. And actually, I think there's a lot more power wherever you can in doing it the other way around and leading with the story saying, Hey, this thing happened to me or this thing happened to these people or whatever. Um, and then linking it to the theory, which you introduce afterwards. That's that's, that is 
really um i just want to pause there because that is really really powerful what you just said um it's about getting the emotional hook first mm. yeah absolutely and then unpicking it and and then you've got people and like i was saying with with dave uh, it's exactly what dave lieber does in his in his ted talk you know he doesn't start talking about uh how story works he shows you how story works by telling your story and then he stops you and says do you see what i just did there mm. yeah yeah so there's that uh, the other thing that I think is just really worth doing is to start to think about how stories fit together, the kind of structure and, and the kind of science almost uh, of stories and of story structure and, and what kind of things make for good stories. And I think once you, uh, once you verse yourself a little bit in that, you can start to A, pick out the right stories, the best stories in terms of true ones, but also if you're making those ones that are true in that other way that we spoke about. um, (laughs) Could be true. There could be true ones. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Then you can can start to to really uh, bring that into play. Uh, And I think there are all kinds of places you can learn about the structure of stories. I mean, again, that TED Talk that I referenced there from Dave Lieber talks about it in a very surface kind of way. But uh, there's a great book by uh, Will Storr, called the science of storytelling which i'd recommend to anyone which talks a little bit more about how stories engage and connect with us and how we can structure stories to, to better do that uh, there's there's real classic ones i mean it's a real kind of academic subject as well you go back to people like joseph campbell who looks at myths uh, uh you know from from uh the last few thousand years of uh, human civilization and what kind of things are common across plenty of stories uh, and some of the reading around that can get a bit academic but it we can see it in stuff like uh star wars and lord of the rings uh everything the comes from lord of the rings this, yeah everything is just a version of lord of the rings i'm afraid <laughs> well it's not really the original so yeah they're all versions of each other in a way yeah, yeah. yeah um there's a there's a really good deck uh, of cards that are designed to help people think about structure stories something called fabula uh designed mm-hmm. by people called sephiro um, and they're really interesting in terms of you can lay out your cards and say, okay, well, the story should have this element and it should go through these things. So how can I make mine do that? Um, so that's a really useful uh, resource. And uh, I'm just listing things here, but I want to get as many in as I can. Um, well, I just, I, just want, I just want to pause you mm, mid-list, one, if that's yeah. okay. Just to, mm. and I'm re- I apologize because I am going to okay. put you on the spot. Um, we talked about, you know, the, the, all the classic stories all follow the same sort of principles and these cards have got stories must include that and i'm just thinking back to the lord of the rings and harry potter and all of that sort of stuff obviously you have your hero you have your villain you have your um your friendship groups you have your quest you have your difficulties you what are the elements that make a great story just you know in very very simple terms obviously sure sure i mean they don't have exactly the same steps but they often do have uh, they often do have the kind of they often do have a number of them a number of them um so you know uh, i mean i've got actually the the cards in front of me here uh for the the, the fabula cards which are a good kind of uh distillment of, of lots of these diff- slightly different structures which 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 are all quite similar uh, and they talk about having the ordinary world to begin with, you know, where you learn about the hero's life ordinarily. Uh, yeah. And then the call to action, something that makes you say, oh, I've got to go and do something. I've got to make a change. I've got to cope with something. Um, and then the stage of anxiety of the call, not knowing if you're equal to it, if you want to, resisting it. 
um you've got uh, you know and you can do, you can think of all of those in lord of the rings definitely absolutely i'm just thinking <laughs> of the hobbits it's there yeah. isn't it yeah um and then the mentors aid you know like uh oh, obi-wan kenobi in, yeah. uh, in star wars coming to, Dumbledore. to, to help them. yeah coming to <laughs> help them overcome that anxiety and then you've got uh, crossing the threshold into a new world um and a series of trials in that new world all the, the different initial obstacles yeah um which culminates often, often in the hero being ready uh, in the, the fulfillment of, of through the trials, but then in a final stage of uh, the darkest moment, the kind of nightfall of, of, of uh, every, everything is lost. Yeah. Um, which then they have to overcome one final trial uh, before they they reach the outcome, and uh, and then there's sometimes a, a relapse and some other stages. But you know that's that's some of the basic kind of elements of any uh, kind of classic story. And obviously, yeah, I reckon J.K. Rowling used those cards exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, certainly she'll have read some of those books, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously you, yours can be shorter. They don't have to kind of go through X and Y and Z and blah, blah, blah. But um, if you verse yourself in that kind of stuff, then I think you get uh, to be able to play around with it and say, okay, I only need these one or two or three, but I am going to use the ones that have been shown over the years to push buttons in people. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, I mean, like, sometimes in training, our stories need to be only need to be short. Yes. Um, so we don't need to write 14 chapters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and that's fine. Yeah. And the, the other place that I think you can learn about that kind of stuff that's a really fun way to learn and really good um, is uh, Pixar have a course on storytelling. And it kind of distills a lot of the wisdom that they use to connect with uh, children and adults, uh, because lots of the adults I know, myself included, really like those kind of stories. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they have a, uh, an online course with videos and activities uh, in on the Khan Academy, Khan K H A N Academy. They do a free Pixar run storytelling course, which is really interesting and embodies a load of those principles. Brilliant. I mean, and they really are fantastic, aren't they, at telling stories? Mm, yeah. Like I say, they do capture the adult just as much as the child. Um, yeah, definitely. And once you see some of the stuff about how they do it behind the scenes, you realise that they're not just stumbling along, making it up as they go along. Mm. They're again following these principles. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of PG films are generally better than 15s and certainly better than 18s because they really have to make the story work. Mm. They can't rely on, you know, violence and sex <laughs> and special effects to quite the same extent and and that's for me when people are going overboard with those things it's it's laziness it's disguising that it's actually not a very good story sometimes for sure so, anyway i digress <laughs> no no it's all good i think we do plenty of digression here one way or another um well that's that's the power of storytelling isn't it because it does make your brain go off um mm, in mm. in related um yeah. directions um yeah. but it's about putting that learning into place in your mind it's about making those neural connections i suppose mm, definitely definitely there's one last thing actually i'd like to add in there in terms of other tips which is a slightly different slant on things which is around thinking about how story can fit in terms of the topic so it's not just in terms of the way that you're covering the topic as in telling a story to illustrate or asking them to tell a story but thinking about actually whether storytelling should really be part of the topic i'll give you an example so uh, employee engagement i think yeah. one of the, the, the when i've done when i designed courses around uh, employee engagement one of the key elements has been around 
strategic narrative, organizational narrative and saying, okay, what's the story of your organization? And every organization has a story. It's yep. just a question of how much control or influence uh, people take of that story or whether it just grows kind of organically. And, uh, you know, if you're trying to empl- engage employees, uh, a great way of doing it is to ask them what they think the story is and try and build their stories into uh, something. And again, you know, making it true, not lying or manipulating, but but something that you can try and bring the organization's values into and, and kind of make it something quite really positive. Mm. So yeah, that's just one example. But any anywhere where stories actually, you know, it fits with leadership, it fits with uh, self introspection and self kind of uh, development, all those kind of things. You know, storytelling actually is part of the topic, not just the way we we learn the topic. Mm. And I don't know if this is um, another example of what you were just talking about there. If this is a different thing, but again, you've sparked off a thought in my mind um, when we talk about training evaluation. And there's an awful lot of get the data, get the data. Um, But I was at um, a professional development meeting a few weeks ago and we decided that actually stories were often more powerful than data. Hmm. If we could tell a story about how through our training, this person used to do that and that was the outcome. Now they do this and this is the outcome. That is often a lot more powerful than saying, oh, you're, net promoter scores gone up by eight points definitely yeah no you're back to the charities thing uh absolutely mm-hmm. you know uh so that is a really good example yeah terry that was fascinating as always um i've made a few notes as we've gone through our our chat there and just to sort of summarize some of the key things that i've got out of that chat is that we should be using stories because they allow us to illustrate concepts and we can illustrate by example I suppose so really bring those concepts to life and they build an emotional connection which we've agreed is incredibly important in learning it's not just about engaging the head and providing people with facts because with facts people say so what Um, whereas if we've got that emotional connection which we're far more likely to get through stories people are much more likely to care about whatever it is we're covering on the training um you said that stories can be an amalgamation of different real life experiences and they don't have to be completely true. They can be based on the truth um, and we can embellish those um, in order to fit the learning or to make the learning points um, clearer, I suppose, and maybe a little bit more relevant. Um, you also mentioned, and we didn't talk about it in great deal, that powerful stories can actually be drawn from non-work related situations because you know we've all had those experiences of uh, or a lot of us have had experiences of when you take your kid out for a meal or you know when you book in a holiday or whatever it is and that can create a common bond with um your, with your delegates because we, we can all share those experiences um, we also talked about as well that it doesn't always have to be the facilitator who has the story to tell so you mentioned that actually choosing a really great video Uh, where people can share their stories can be very powerful it also gives that change of voice um, which is important in the change in in the training room Um, and we can ask delegates to share their stories um, as long as the facilitator is able to keep them relevant (laughs) and keep the time because people do love to share their own stories Um, and then I think for me in terms of um, what can we do as designers to make sure that we include stories um, and make the most of stories? I think the resources and the tips you gave about creating a great story, those different elements, very, very useful. 
But the most important thing for me is literally just to flip it. So let's tell the story. Let's get people hooked. And then let's back that up with the theory. Mm. Um, it's a very simple thing that we can all do um, in our training design. With it, Rather than just here's the theory. Oh, and here's a story to elaborate on that. By which point, you know, you've got a harder, you've got a bigger mountain to climb, I think, sometimes, haven't you? Mm. Did I miss anything or is there anything you would like to reiterate? I think that's a fantastic summary. The only other thing that I might just uh, mention there that I think is a really important point for designers is the idea of being a story magpie and ah, just yes, looking out for them in a general sense. Although I just thought, actually, as I was saying that, uh, maybe a better analogy than magpie is, is a, a bowerbird who, who goes and collects all the things that are all pink or all, all one color or all of one material and makes a little nest, a little bower out of them so because it's not just about looking out for stories it's about remembering them and perhaps trying to index them or at least keep some record of them which is which is where i fail <laughs> <laughs> i just throw I, I just go oh that's brilliant and then uh, yeah i hope i remember it so really must get more organized so brilliant. I, thanks very much no worries i i, I think that's a good summary though all in all and that's us probably done for the storytelling for today although i could definitely go on uh, but i think we need to leave a little bit of time for you to talk about what's been going on for you or what's caught your eye recently oh are you sure you're ready for this terry <laughs> uh that sounds interesting i'm definitely ready for it now oh dear um well it's I think in some ways it, it's a very generic topic. So it's a complete sort of change from what we've just been talking about with, with, with storytelling. Um, and it's something that does rear up time and time again in, in terms of what exactly do we mean by training design? Do we undervalue it? Do people think it's something that it's not? Um, how long does it take you, Terry, as an experienced training designer, um, and a quality one at that. How long would you say it takes you to design a one-day workshop? Um, it depends how much info I need to take on board, or whether I can do it from existing uh, materials or adapt mater existing materials that I have, and how much consultation I need to do with subject matter experts. But it's probably somewhere between two to three days is what I would hope to aim for. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, yeah, I agree with that because I think e even with decent source material, um, I would struggle to design something in less than two days. Mm. Um, so I just get a little bit frustrated sometimes when um, people will say, oh, I've, I've, I'm designing a course this afternoon. And I think, <laughs> how are you doing that in three hours? What, what, what do you mean by design? Um, it's a little bit frustrating as well as an external provider when you're trying to you know, put proposals into a client and you say, it's going to take me um, 12 days to design this program. And they're like, well, why? You know, surely mm. you just go in there and um, I don't understand why it's going to take more than a couple of days to pull together some slides. And I think this is where there's a massive, massive um, difference of opinion as to what constitutes training design. Now, for me, if you're designing a course in three hours, you're not designing a course. Mm. You, you're, you're scoping it out. I can scope out a course in three hours. That's really not a problem. Um, what do I mean by scoping out? I mean, okay, so this is the content. This is what we're going to cover. These are the objectives. Um, we're probably going to include an exercise here and a role play there. And I've got those, those big bricks, if you like, those big slots clear mm. in my mind. 
I can mm. do that in three hours. Mm. Um, and maybe that's what some people think design is. I don't know. Because the, the other thing that um, I get asked as well is, is, I've been asked before, what's my hourly rate for training design? Which mm. threw me a bit. Um, because when it came down to it, what this person thought I did was desktop publishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I think sometimes as well, the other thing that people do in a short amount of time is repackage existing content. So if you want to take an activity from this previous workshop and an activity from this one uh, and some slides from this one and put them all together without really thinking through exactly how it's going to land and exactly how it all fits the learning objectives, then yeah, you can probably do that in a couple of hours. But mm. if you want to start from objectives and say, okay, what's the best way to meet these and make sure it fits with the audience's context and their challenges and all those kind of things, then yeah, that's, that's not the kind of thing that, that just takes a couple of hours. Yeah. And I think it depends as well, you know, cause you and I both design training professionally. That's our main job. Um, and we hand over, training materials that can be delivered by anybody they don't Mm. have to be delivered by us and maybe if you are designing just for yourself um, and you literally just need to create a bit of a session plan and that's designed then I I can see that but when I design a course it has a detailed session plan it Mm. has slides it has a delegate workbook it has handouts there's nearly always a bespoke case study that's written or some questionnaires that need to be pulled together Um, and and this it does take time especially when you have to link it to the client's organization um, so that we're not creating something that's generic and the other thing as well, sorry, I'm just going to go the difference. So, so we've got scoping out, which is one thing. We've got what I call the design. Some people call that development. And I think that comes from the ADI model, you know, the um, mm. analysis, design, develop, yeah. implement, evaluate. So mm. they, they, they call the develop is, is the bit that I call design. Mm. Um, but again, I've got involved in debates when, um, you know, how can it take you two days to prep a course? And it's like, well, it shouldn't take two days to prep a course. Um, the course should already be written. I mean, I'm running a course in a couple of days. I've set aside three hours to prep that course mm. um, because that is refreshing myself with the content. Mm, it mm. is checking that everything works. It's making my own shortcut notes. That's prep. It's not design. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm just feeling sometimes I just feel a bit. Um, it's one of those things that when people don't really understand what it is you do, mm. um, they don't understand all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, I suppose, which can be a little yeah. bit frustrating when you're trying to say, look, this is genuinely going to take me three days of my time. And yet you want to pay me for half a day <laughs> or yeah. you, or if you're internal, I need a week to write this. And you think I can write it in between attending all these meetings and running all these courses. Cause mm. let's not forget that those who are internal have exactly the same challenges. <laughs> yeah. And I think in many ways we make it harder, the, the better job we do, we make it harder for ourselves because if we do a really good job, then the, the design isn't always apparent of what goes on exactly. under the surface. It just looks quite easy and streamlined and smooth and in fact actually it's something that a lot of experimentation and work has has gone into it it makes me think actually so i went just uh, this weekend i went to the design museum in london oh did you uh, and saw loads of really really classic amazing designs you know stuff about the tube lines and uh, some apple products and uh, you know early cars the mini the, the beetle things like this and and just thinking about the principles of design and and 
you know, the way that the classic designs weren't just randomly the most successful ones. They were the mm. ones that really, really thought very carefully about what is this going to achieve? Who's going to use it? How are they going to use it? How is it going to change the way they live their life? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's definitely on my list of places to visit when I, when I do get down to London. Um, but you know, the, the head of the training designers club is the quote from Steve jobs, which says design isn't how it looks and feels design is how it works. Mm, absolutely. Um, and I think that's where we sometimes get, or maybe people who are involved in the, the back end of it, the behind the scenes stuff, they just see the slides or they just see the, um, you know, the, the great anecdote that gets told at the front of the room and, and they don't see that how much thought um, and research has gone into actually getting to that point. Hmm. So, and, and even fellow learning professionals as well. And again, I don't, I don't know if I'm getting a little bit um, hung up on semantics, which I might be. Um, maybe because I say, no, you need three days to design something. People go, no, no, three days to develop something. And, and we're actually talking about the same thing. Um, or whether there is just a, a great variation out there as to what people think um, is involved, what people think is required, and the different ways that we do it. So it's, um, I would be interested to know what other learning designers class as being part of design. What do they class mm. as being part of research? What do they class as being part of prep? Um, and any processes that they go through in order to do that, it would be just quite interesting because I suspect that although we end up at the same place more or less i suspect we all take a very different route to getting there hmm. so it'll be interesting to know hmm. well something they calm could... down now yeah that's fine get <laughs> off your chest absolutely um no i think there's something people could uh, definitely let us know about yeah and it's, it's, it's definitely a question that i'm going to be posting in the training designers club as well um, because we've got people from a whole range of backgrounds in there from people who design full-time like you and I do and people who just occasionally get involved with a little bit of learning design so yeah. again maybe that um, influences what you think's involved mm, good I think that uh, rounding off this episode with a talk about what is design is probably quite a good <laughs> way to uh, to end the first uh, the first season of the training design podcast in fact yes yeah yeah it, it wasn't planned that way but we've yeah. certainly had um some really interesting chats about different aspects of design um our approaches to design so yeah hopefully we've given people lots and lots of food for thought around that question mm, yeah and i'd be interested to hear what they've got to say if anyone listening does have anything to say then as usual you can get in touch and we'd love you to We'd love some discussion on the podcast's Facebook page. So just search for the Training Design Podcast on Facebook and let us know there your thoughts on the podcast itself, on the topics we've been discussing, or on anything else you think we'd like to hear about. Uh, also, if you want to connect with either or both of us individually, that'd be great. You can contact me on terry at 360learningdesign.com or just pop along to my website at 360learningdesign.com. Or you can look me up on LinkedIn. It's Terry Pierce, uh, and it's the one based in the UK. There is a Terry Pierce trainer in the US, but uh, I'm the one based in the UK. 
exactly and you can also find me sheridan webb on linkedin I'm happy to accept invitations to connect from anyone involved in l d you can also join the training designers club if you just google training designers club you will find it um, you can become a full member or you can just become a casual member and be part of our facebook group and it would definitely be interesting to know um, what you feel about these podcasts and um, whether you want us to do series two. <laughs> well, uh, what you want us to include in season two, I think. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I think that's a thumbs up from Terry. I think he wants to continue. I must admit, I'm finding it very, very useful. Um, mm. So definitely, yeah, some, some guidance as to what you've liked about season one um, and what you'd like to include in season two would be, be really, really helpful to us. Otherwise, we'll just waffle on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> good stuff so um see you next time okay so yeah after the break thanks very much for listening to us mm-hmm.